0: Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Kings 11? We'll go through this chapter and then look at uh, three verses at the end of 2 Chronicles 9 that coincide with the last few verses of 1 Kings 11. Solomon has been our hero for the past several weeks. We have... Marveled at how he always had the right answer, and they came from the leaders, came from all over the world. He built the greatest economy, probably, that relatively speaking, that the world has ever known. The industry that he built, the prosperity that he built for his people. um, Of course, the greatest thing that he did was he built the temple. There in Jerusalem, another great structure that he built, of course, as well, was his palace. We've seen how, especially in the person of Queen of Sheba, Solomon would receive leaders from around the world and he would share his wisdom. And the Bible told us, I think we saw it last time, that he always had an answer and the answer was always right. Whatever, whatever complexities a, a leader may face or if he just had general questions uh, about philosophy of life or whatever. But now we see here in the passages before us the decline and then death of Solomon. It's quite... quite uh, Sad and uh, sobering, and my clicker's not working. He's got it. Nope. Yeah, there it went. Did I do that? Okay. We're going to see in the text here that uh, the worst part. Of Solomon's life was later in his life. He was old. There's several things that we can extract here from the account of the wives that he took uh, for himself. In the in the Hebrew, V a little suffix v, it means but. It's a conjunction. But it's a contrasting type of conjunction. Now Let's take it from here backward, what we've studied about Solomon was all wonderful. It was almost unbelievable uh, what this guy did, what he'd accomplished, the riches, the wealth, uh, the reach of Israel uh, into the world that was his in that day, the, the ships that were built, and uh, the goods and the services that he extended outward, just unbelievable. But now here's a contrast <clears throat> to all of that that has gone before. But King Solomon loved many foreign women and the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. And here's the problem with this. All of these nations worship gods that were forbidden by Yahweh. Therefore, marriage to women from these different nations was forbidden. Solomon apparently had gotten to the point where he felt like that he could do what he wanted. You know, David David reached that point briefly in his life. Uh, and then the difference between Solomon and David was that once the prophet came and confronted David, David went into serious and severe repentance and confession, confessing his sin. And... David really was made a stronger man and never went back that way again. Solomon is not that way. As a matter of fact, as far as I can tell, there's no record of Solomon's repentance for all that he did. So we have here a list of the nations and one important thing to note is that these nations immediately surround the nation of Israel. They're very close by. So it... it uh, It lends to the thinking that Solomon has a political motive for taking all of these women into his harem uh, during this time. But that's still no excuse. Alliances, and the Bible teaches this in the Old Testament. Alliances caused Israel really to question the power of God to take care of them. In the time of Jeremiah, I know the southern kingdom, they were appealing to Assyria for help. And when when Babylon was coming, they appealed to Egypt for help. And But Jeremiah reminded them that their true help only came from Yahweh, that it was foolish. If Yahweh has judged them for their sin, all of the alliances in the world wouldn't make any difference. Verse 2. Of the nations about which Yahweh had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not mingle among them, and they shall not come among you, for certainly they will sway your heart after their deities. To these did Solomon cleave to love them. We've talked many times about the worship rituals of these pagan deities. Very sensual and uh, perverse, naturally attractive to the baser uh, senses, sensualities of, thank you, of men. I've been yelling at Pat so so long today, about wore my voice out, maybe I won't need that. Now, Solomon just disregards all of this. In the strength of his reign, maybe he thinks that he is so great that he doesn't need advice from the scriptures. He's strong, he's above all of that. Nobody is above these things. And this is what happens. And he had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. 700 royal wives, 300 concubines. In the language, you understand that these wives were from royal blood. The concubines did not have the same status in the harem as did the others. But this is a thousand women. One thousand women. How many days are there in a year? Well, you see where I'm headed with that. In that day, a king... The virility of a king was noted by the type and size of harem that he had. History tells us, and I researched—I don't know that I researched this as best I could. No king in the world had a harem that approached a thousand women. I mean, maybe twenty or thirty. But a thousand. This was a selfish expression, a prideful expression of Solomon to the world of his power, his might, um, his virility, his importance in the world, that all of the royal families stood in line to offer one of their daughters to the great King Solomon. What does the last line there say? His wives turned his heart away. And it was at the time of Solomon's old age. And this is, it's an old saying, but I used to hear my grandmother say it, quite at my grandmother Collins. She used to say, there's no fool like an old fool. A man in his old age. <laughs> I have so many things I could say here about this. And I don't know how far to go with it, but what was he thinking? <laughs> you know, a thousand women? Old age. It was at the time of Solomon's old age. He had reigned with the greatest power and wealth that the world had ever known. And I'm going to say, relatively speaking, probably the world has not known, hasn't known anything like that since then. The power, that he could just, when he wanted to, he could extend the power and wealth of Israel. But now he's an old man And it was when he was an old man that his wives turned his heart away after other gods. Yahweh had never forsaken Solomon, had kept every promise to Solomon, had given him what he promised, which was namely the greatest reign, kingdom, throne, that people had ever seen, had done everything, and why is he turned after other gods? And his heart was not whole with Yahweh his God. James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So here, Solomon tries to hold on to his worship of Yahweh, whose grand temple he had built. While at the same time, chasing after other gods as all of these women had had enticed him to do. So his, his heart wasn't whole with Yahweh. Like the heart of David, his father. Solomon went after Ashtoreth. Well, that's a, that's a goddess. It's a, the, the worship of Ashtoreth is a horrible, sexual, perverted thing. The goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcham, the abomination of the Ammonites, and the same thing with Milcham. This was just... Uh, we're in an age of reading about things that happen in some places that are almost on a daily basis, and... It's unthinkable. Well, these things that Solomon was engaged with were just unthinkable. Solomon, and here's the declaration, Solomon did evil in the sight of Yahweh. And he did not fully or completely follow Yahweh as did David, his father. His, his great life, at the end of it, falls apart. He is engaged in the perverted, twisted, sensual activities of the worship of other gods and goddesses. And it was evil. Now, Yahweh won't overlook this. Verse 7. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the mountain that is before Jerusalem. And for Molech, the abomination of the sons of Ammon. Now look at this. Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the mountain that is before Jerusalem. Right in front of the temple, he did this. And the structures of those high places that he built just on the other side of the temple were so strong that they stood for 300 years. It wasn't until Josiah finally tore them down that they were brought down. So he was was fully and completely engaged in this activity. And so he did for all of his alien wives who offered incense and slaughtered sacrifices to their deities. Yahweh became angry with Solomon because his heart had digressed from Yahweh the God of Israel who had appeared to him not once but twice. Twice, personally, Yahweh, compassionately, graciously, personally, appeared to Solomon, gave him great promises, granted to him this wisdom and guidance, gave to him the most secure and wealthiest kingdom of all. And he continued to grow from there. And even though he, none of the, you know and I know that none of these other deities appeared to Solomon because they don't exist. They couldn't make an appearance, but Yahweh did, the God of gods, the great almighty most high God. Had appeared to Solomon twice. And now he's angry with Solomon. And had commanded him pertaining this matter not to follow other gods. However, he did not keep what Yahweh Had commanded. Yahweh said to Solomon, For this, for as this has been with you and you have not observed my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and I shall give it to your servant. Now, this is no small punishment. He's going to tear the kingdom completely apart and give it to someone who is at the time a servant of Solomon. However, in your days, I will not do this for the sake of David, your father. From the hands of your son, I shall tear it. But I shall not tear the entire kingdom away from you. One tribe I shall grant to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen. And then as time goes on, Another smaller tribe, Benjamin, joins, joins that particular tribe. Now, what happens? Something happens that Solomon hasn't had to face in all of his years as king. He has enemies that are coming against him. God raises up enemies against Solomon, beginning with Hadad. Hadad. Yahweh raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite, and he was of the royal lineage in Edom. It was when David was in Edom that Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain since he had slain every male in Edom. For Joab and all of Israel remained stationed there for six months until he had killed every male in Edom. Hadad fled, and some of the Edomite men as well of his father's servants with him. And they went to Egypt and Hadad was yet a small child. Now there are all kinds of things at play here. Number one, the cruelty of Joab, the armies of David, such a tremendous destruction. The Edomites, of course, they're descendants of Esau. Esau was the twin of Jacob and uh, Israel and Edom never got along. They were enemies all the way through the Old Testament practically. This little boy who was rescued, who was of a royal family of Edom, grows up in Egypt. And for those years in his life, his hatred for Israel grows. It all started when he was a small child, and beyond that it starts with the activities of David's army against the Edomites. But now it comes back to haunt the people of Israel and the king of Israel. They set out from Midian and came to Paran, And they took men with them from Paran and they arrived in Egypt, came before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He granted him a home and assigned him sustenance and gave him land. And Hadar was uh, pleased Pharaoh very much so that he gave him in marriage uh, the sister of his wife, the sister of Tachemnes, the queen. All right, this is a different Pharaoh. The one who early in Solomon's reign brought him his daughter. But the setting is different here. It's a different thing. This Pharaoh is pleased to send or to nurture Haddad and nurture his ambition to rise up against Solomon. So he has the support here at this point in time of Egypt. The sister of Tachpane bore him Ganubat, his son. Him weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Ganubat was in Pharaoh's house among Pharaoh's children. Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers. And that Joab, the commander of the army, had died. And Hadad said to Pharaoh, give me leave and I shall go to my country. Now what happens is <coughs> this, this guy becomes a um, A terrorist. Um, Guerrilla warfare. He he tries to disrupt the uh, the trade routes of uh, of Israel, which which carried most of the wealth of the land uh, from one place to another in the world. Please excuse me. <clears throat> All right. But he wasn't the only one. Rezon's hostility. Let's look at this guy. <coughs> and Pharaoh said to him, What do you lack with me that you desire to go to your country? He said, Nevertheless, give me leave. And Elohim raised up against him an adversary, Rezon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, his master. He assembled men around him. Now, you see where this is headed. Um, It's on my bucket list to stand and drink Diet Coke in front of everybody. So I got that taken care of. And he became a commander over a battalion when David slew uh, slew them, and they went to Damascus and settled there and ruled in Damascus. He was an adversary to Israel all of Solomon's days with the evil that was caused by Hadad and he detested Israel and roved over Aram, um, the Aramaeans. So now Solomon's troubles are rising on yet another front. Then here comes Jeroboam Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, an Ephraimite of Zerada, uh, Ephraimites were one of the twelve tribes, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow. He was Solomon's servant. He raised his hand against the king, and this was the matter concerning which he raised his hand against the king. Solomon built up the Millo and closed up the breach of the city of David, his father, and the man Jeroboam. What did I do? Turn myself. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. Now, the Hebrew phrase there can mean a lot of different things. And one of the things that it can mean is, of course, he, was a, he became a materialistic man. Solomon saw this young man, that he was a diligent worker. He appointed him in charge of all of the burdens of the house of Joseph. All of the burdens. Now, we keep this in mind. Um during these latter years Solomon begins to heavily tax his people and he begins to add other burdens to his own people that he hadn't done before. And it came to be at that time when Jeroboam had left Jerusalem that Ahijah the Shilonite, the prophet found him on the way and he was wearing a new garment. Two of them were alone in the field. Ahijah grasped that new garment that was upon him and tore it into 12 pieces and he said to Jeroboam take for yourself 10 pieces for so has Yahweh the Yahweh the God of Israel said I shall tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you the 10 tribes now this is Jeroboam who will become the leader of the 10 northern tribes of the northern kingdom which will become known as Israel the southern kingdom to be known as Judah But he will have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen of all the tribes of Israel since they have deserted me and have prostrated themselves to Astra, the goddess of the Zidonians, to Kamash, god of Moab, the god of the children of Ammon. And they have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes to keep my statutes and judgments as did David, his father. However, I will not take any part of the kingdom away from him, but I will make him a king all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, for he kept my commandments and my statutes. A son of David will continue on the throne even to the time finally of Messiah. However, I will take the kingdom away from his son, give it to you, the ten tribes. So he's going to tear ten tribes away. And his son, I shall give one tribe, so that David, my servant, may have a kingdom before me in Jerusalem. The city which I chose for myself to place my name there. Now, remember the other one we learned later. It's actually in the next chapter, I think, we learned that it's uh, Benjamin. I shall take you, and you shall rule over all that your soul desires. You shall be king over Israel. And it will be if you heed all that I shall command you and walk in my ways, do what's righteous in my eyes to keep my statutes, my commandments. As did David my servant, I shall be with you and build for you a lasting dynasty as I built for David my servant and shall give Israel to you. And I shall afflict David's descendants because of this, but not for all times. Solomon sought to put Jeroboam to death, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishach, the king of Egypt, and remained in Egypt until Solomon's death. So Jeroboam is the guy who comes back even though he had served Solomon, in, in, among his counselors and, and on his staff, is yet separated by the Lord to be the one who will lead the tearing away of the ten northern tribes. Then finally, the death of Solomon. The rest of the events of Solomon and all that he did in his wisdom, they are assuredly written in the book of the words of Solomon. The years which Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel were 40 years. Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, ruled in his place. Now, we go back to 2 Chronicles, uh, the last part that we did not complete last time. And it's a record. Now, interestingly, 2 Chronicles, at this point, doesn't give all of us all of these Sad, bad details about Solomon. So here he just goes now and jumps to his death. And the rest of Solomon's deeds, the first and the last, are they not written in the words of Natung the prophet and in the prophecy of Ahijah, the Shilonite, and in the visions of Yedo the seer, concerning Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Solomon slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, his father. Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So as great as he was, he still died. And in his pride and, and uh, self-aggrandizement, I guess, he, he found his fall and his failure. And such a brilliant life that, that ends in sadness and in failure. We'll stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.